going to be, be preaching to you tonight and continuing a little bit of what I talked about a week and a half ago. And my dad kind of continued this past Sunday. So we're kind of sticking on a theme, but I am going to be kind of coming at things from a little bit of a different angle. And I hope that this kind of builds on what we've already been talking about. If you remember, um, we're not going to be here late tonight. I'm going to get you out of here hopefully a little earlier because I know you have a lot to do. But um, in this season, I, I this tonight and Sunday, I'm going to be doing a little mini-series between um, tonight and both services on Sunday on John 3.16. And um, it's one of the first verses, of course, we learn in Sunday school, or you learn if you're an adult and you've started a Bible study, you'll learn John 3.16. And uh, we'll read that here in a little bit, if those of you don't know it. And uh, it's one of the kind of the basic fundamental salvation um, scriptures. And I'm going to read that to you. But what I'm going to be doing, and you may or may not find this interesting, hopefully you do, is I want to take John 3.16 and I'm breaking it down to the smallest common denominator, taking it kind of a couple of words at a time. And I want to show you um, some in the Greek and some just from the th uh, theologians uh, kind of breaking down the verse and doing it with scripture. I want to make John 3.16 come alive for you. How's that? So hopefully by the end of Sunday, if you come tonight and you come Sunday morning, you'll, when you read John 3.16 or you hear somebody say it or you see a sign or a t-shirt or whatever with John 3.16, you will never ever see it the same way, right? That's the idea. And I want to use this to tie into really the Christmas story um, because um, God gave us a gift on Christmas that we celebrate. And of course, that is his son, Jesus. And so um, we're going to read this scripture, but I want to tell you why I chose this. Um, I read a story about um, Dwight L. Moody. How many of you know who Dr. Moody was? I want to read to you a little bit about um, his encounter with John 3.16 and why I've decided to use this scripture. Now, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you're going to learn some stuff about this scripture you didn't know, all right? And if you've only been a Christian for a little bit, uh, then you're going to learn stuff about this you didn't know. And so by the end of Sunday, you're going to read this, and it's going to come alive to you and mean something really amazing. Um, Dwight D.L. Moody learned to appreciate the greatness of God's love through the verse John 3.16. I want to read you this story. Moody had been to Britain in the early days of his ministry, and he met a young English preacher named Henry Morehouse. One day, um, Morehouse said to Moody, I'm thinking of going to America. Just this young whippersnap pre whippersnapper preacher. I don't know any people like that. And he said, well, said Moody, if, if you should ever get to Chicago, why don't you come down to my church and I'll give you a chance to preach? Well, Moody did not mean to be hypocritical when he said this, but he was merely being polite. Nevertheless, he was saying to himself that he hopes Morehouse would not really come. So he invites this young preacher kind of to be polite, thinking he'll never actually come. So I'll say, hey, if you ever make it to Chicago, everyone ever do that before? You know, you meet somebody on a plane and you find, learn, meet him for 30 minutes or something or whatever it is. You're like, hey, if you're ever in Sarasota again, look me up. Well, you know necessarily mean it all the time, right? You're just being polite. That's kind of what happened with, with uh, Moody here. Sometime later, after Moody had returned home, 
the evangelist received a telegram that said, I've just arrived in New York, and I will be in Chicago on Sunday. And it was signed, Morehouse. Well, Moody was uh, pretty perplexed about what he should do. And to complicate the matters, he was just about to leave for a series of meetings elsewhere. And he thought to himself, here I am going to be gone on Sunday, and this guy's coming, and I've promised to let him preach. Finally, he said to his wife and to the leaders of the church, I think we should let him preach just once. So let him preach once, and if the people enjoy him, then put him on again, because they had multiple services. Well, Moody was gone for a week, and when he had returned, he said to his wife, how did that young preacher do? And his wife, as only a wife could say, said, well, actually, he's a better preacher than you are. <laughs> because he's telling sinners that God loves them. And Moody said, that's not right. God does not love sinners. Those of you that know Moody, you're surprised probably to hear this story. But this was pre, really, his experience with God's love. Well, she said, you go and hear him. What? He said, do you mean to tell me he's still preaching? Yes, he's been preaching all week. And he's only had one verse for his text. It's been John 3.16. So Moody went to the meeting, and Morehouse got up and began by saying, I've been hunting for a text all week, and I've not been able to find a better text than John 3.16, so I think we will just talk about it once more tonight. And he did. Afterward, Moody said it was on that night that he first clearly understood the greatness of God's love. So hopefully, although I am no Henry Morehouse, that by the end of Sunday morning, you will understand the love of God in a way you've never understood it before. And if you reach back 10 days ago in your mind and you recall what we talked about, um, which was probably the most emotional sermon and one of the most important sermons I've ever preached, I talked about the idea that loved people love people. How many of you remember that? Now, I got such an overwhelming response on Facebook and all that and the website from that um, sermon it far surpassed anything we had ever done or put up. It was shared like so many times. It blew our minds how many times people shared it. And I appreciate you all for doing that. But it was, it was something that I felt shifted. Just I want to be just open with you guys. I felt it shifted something in the atmosphere and in our minds as a church and redefined why we are a body of believers, why we come, and why we're a part of the harvest. And I want to I really express what has always been the heart of this place, and that is to love people and to encounter God's love. Now, I also talked about symptoms of an unloved person. And some of you all identified with those symptoms because you told me later via text and email and Facebook messages and tapping me on the shoulder on my way out the door, and I appreciate that. But some of you told me, yeah, I've had those symptoms in my life. I've been depressed. I've been angry. I've been bitter. I've been, you know, self-conscious. I've been, I've had low self-esteem. I've, I've, I've had all these things you were talking about. And I so identified with what you had to say. And I really believe that the answer to any problem that we're facing, that you're facing, emotional, even some physical, is to really encounter the love of God in a way that you've never done before. I believe that if you'll encounter God's love and understand how much he loves you and how, how unconditional his love is, that if you'll encounter that love, 
you'll understand that love that he has for you, that your whole world will change. No matter what you're facing, if you're facing uh, you know, drug issues, if you're facing anger issues, if you're facing bitterness issues, if you're facing depression, if you're facing anything like that, maybe tonight you're on medication for it, whatever it may be, I really, honestly, from the core of who I am, I would put everything that I have on the line, which is not much, but I would put it all on the line and bet and tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that an encounter and an understanding of God's love for you and really, under, and really coming face to face with his love for you will completely change those things in your life. Do you believe that with me? And so I want this verse to come alive for you. Let's read it together. Come on, you can help me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many of you before tonight had read that scripture before? All right, good. Well, you'll never read it the same. That was the last time you were going to read it without a full understanding of what it means. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's the last time you're going to read that scripture. So we're going to start here. I'm going to do probably three or four things tonight, and I'm going to probably do four or five things on Sunday. Probably three things tonight. Number one, for God so loved the world. We're going to literally take this verse and break it down. If you're a notes type person, this would be a good message to take notes. For God so loved the world. The word world here means, or is the Greek, the Greek word for world here, the way it was originally written is cosmos. Some of you have heard cosmos before. Makes sense. Usually it has to describe something in space. But it's with a K. It's the Greek word cosmos, which means world. I want to give you the Greek definition for cosmos. You ready for this? Cosmos is defined as the ungodly multitude. It is the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. So God sets up this equation of John 3.16 by saying, For God so loved the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God, and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. See, the world was not this perfect, lily-white, unblemished, you know, spotless world waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus was not sent to the earth. We celebrated around the 25th of December, and I don't know exactly what time of the year it was, but we celebrated this time. But Jesus didn't come as a baby to this earth to one day die for our sins, to die a cruel death for us. He didn't come to a perfect, beautiful little world. God so loved, his love was for a world full of people that were alienated from the cause of Christ, that, that this says that, that were hostile to the very cause of Christ, that had alienated themselves from God. They were ungodly. It was an ungodly, hostile territory for Jesus to come. So imagine this. You're a parent. You have a child. If if you knew that there was a school or a class or a teacher that absolutely was hostile towards your child, 
I want you to think about this. An entire school full of kids that hated your child. A, a, a teacher, a, a faculty staff that hated your child. A, a principal that hated your child, that thought that they were no good, that they were, they were worthless, that they would never amount to anything, that they had no need for him, that hated him. Would you send him to school there? Of course not. No loving parent would do that. What if it was your only child? So I want you to think about that. God made a decision from, from the very, he made a decision when he sent his son. He made a decision that I love these people who are hostile towards my son enough to overcome the fear of a parent sending their child into a hostile, violent environment. I love humanity enough, even though they hate my son, they hate the very existence of God, they're ungodly. I love them enough the way they are to send my son into that environment so he can one day provide a way for them to be cleansed of their sins. I mean, that's the kind of love that's represented in this scripture. Now, I don't know, and I, I, I've been preaching this ad nauseum, you have to excuse me. I don't know what it is inside of our brains that we get to a point in our lives, and sometimes it's, we, we get convinced of it in the beginning when we become Christians, and we, you know, we're like excited because God loves us. But sometime along the journey of life, whether it's your Christian life or your life period, that you decide that God has it out for you, or God doesn't love you, or he's not for you, or you have to earn his love. The first thing I want to say to you is that God's love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. His love has no conditions on it. For God so loved a world that if he put conditions on it, he wouldn't have sent his son. Right? If he was wanting his son to come to a nice, friendly group of people that were waiting to welcome him with open arms, he wouldn't have sent him here. Right? His love is unconditional. And so if you put conditions on God's love for you, then you put conditions on God's love for you. He didn't do it. Well, I just feel like I just need to do this or that, or I need to quit this, or I need to say this right, or I need to do this, and then God will love me. You said it. He didn't. You will not find one condition on God's love in the entire Bible. All those scriptures, all those chapters, all those books, all those pages, you're not going to find one thing that puts a condition on his love. For God so loved a world, a hostile world, an ungodly world, to send his son John 1.10 says this, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He sent him into a world that the world didn't even recognize him for who he was. John 15.18 says, If the world hates you, he's speaking to his disciples, Jesus was, he says, You know that it hated me before it hated you. The world hated him. The world wouldn't even recognize that he was a savior. The world was hostile towards him. You, are you with me? Hopefully this is your thinking face, right? This is my thinking face. I'm thinking about this. I'm digesting it. I'm telling you what, guys, whether my delivery is, is exciting enough for you or not, if you will get this in your spirit and you'll become convinced of what I'm saying is the truth, I promise you, you will never, ever be the same. 
Now, if I was up here peddling a diet pill that guaranteed you'd lose 15 pounds in a week and it was 100% safe and natural, you all would be begging me for it, right? I guarantee you that a dose of his love will change your life. I guarantee it. It's free. You don't have to deserve it. There's no conditions on it, right? It's just served up on the table. I love the story about um, uh, C.S. Lewis. And how many of you know who C.S. Lewis is? What's the most famous thing he's known for? Yeah. All right. He's apparently, based on your response, he's the most famous for... (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Sounds like he's really put a lot of thought into that piece. Of course, Chronicles of Narnia, but he wrote much more than that. There's a story about C.S. Lewis was asked to speak at a, um, at a religions conference where there, there was all these rural religions colliding for this conference of peace and unity. And they asked C.S. Lewis to come and speak, and they decided to debate. Somebody proposed the idea that Christianity is unique. It's different from all other religions. So they began to debate, the Buddhists, the Muslims, all of them begin to debate Christianity versus everything else. And they said, well, what makes Christianity unique? And so they threw around a couple of ideas. Um, the first one was, well, the resurrection, the belief that death is not the final word, that the tomb was found empty. Um, somebody shook their head and said, no, actually, other religions um, have accounts of people um, coming from the dead or uh, returning from the dead. And so they put out one thing after another, and then someone would say, no, this religion actually believes the same thing or something similar. And so finally, C.S. Lewis happened to arrive a little early for his talk, and he sat in, and by the time he had walked in the door, they were debating pretty fiercely with one another over this, and people were starting to get yelling and screaming, you know, how religious folks do. That's a whole other message. And they started, you know, going back and forth. And he said, hey, he said, what's all this stuff about? What are you guys debating? And they said, well, um, we're debating Christianity and what makes it unique. And C.S. Lewis goes, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. And they said, well, it's grace. And they said, it's God's manifest unconditional love for humanity. It's a love that has no conditions. All other religions put conditions on the God's love. So, for instance, Buddhists follow an eightfold path to enlightenment. And if they don't follow that path, then their God is not pleased. He doesn't bestow love upon them. Hindus believe in karma, that your actions continually affect the way the world will treat you. There's nothing that comes to you not set in motion by your own actions. So it's your actions that set in motion good things to come your way. Jews believe, of course, the the old Hebraic law, the code of laws, that implies that God has requirements for people to be acceptable to him. And Islam believes in a God of judgment, not a God of love, that you live to appease him, to follow his rules and his regulations. Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth where you'll find this unconditional love, some call it grace, but this unconditional love that is bestowed upon the followers of him with no conditions, freely. There's no other religion in the world like it, except Christianity. It's the only place you'll find a God who loves humanity just because. That's crazy, right? So, of course, the room fell silent, and Lewis continued that Christianity uniquely claims that God's love comes free of charge, no strings attached, and no other religion 
can make that claim. And directly following that, there was silence, and he took the stage and delivered his speech. Nobody had anything else to say. No other cleric, no other religious leader from any world religion could stand up and say, no, we do that too. They were all like, touche, go right ahead. It's his unconditional love. Turn to somebody and say, it's his unconditional love. Everyone's like, okay, we made it through four words, and it's a half an hour later. We're going to go faster, I promise. So what do we have so far? For God so loved the world. We got what that means, right? Quiz? No. For God so loved the world, that he gave. Now we're only doing three words at a time, apparently. That he gave. God's love is sacrificial. It's unconditional, and it's sacrificial. According to um, the footnote in the English Standard Version of the Bible, that that actually translates to, for this is how God loved the world. And then it continues, that he gave. God, from the very beginning of this whole agreement with humanity when it came through Jesus, decided to give. He set us up for how you and I are supposed to live our life. That's why Christmas is so wonderful, because we get an opportunity to give. And God gave. He didn't exchange. He didn't ask for anything in return. He didn't expect any. He gave sacrificially the only thing that he had. He gave to you and I. He took what was most precious to him, and he sent him into this world, which we've gone over, a cruel world. He gave sacrificially. So love is not just unconditional, God's love, but it's sacrificial. And when you and I give sacrificially to one another, when we give to the poor, when we give to God, we, we connect ourselves with the very love of God, that, that the very love that inspired him to send his son to us. So when we give to each other, let's think about the gift that was given to us through Jesus. There's a great... Um, there's a great story about, I have a lot of stories tonight, so this is the story version of Dan, so you'll have to excuse me. But uh, there's a story of, a, of, a, of a, an accountant, and um, he was a young banker, and he was in charge of reconciling all the different accounts at the bank, and this was in the old days when they'd use paper ledgers, not computers. How many of you were around during that? Don't tell us that, all right? Don't tell us that. We don't want to know. But they would, they would literally debit and credit your account on a piece of paper that was protected and was was um, kept by the bank and nobody could touch it. And so you knew how much was in your account. Or if you went to the bank and asked them how much was in my account, they would look at that ledger. They wouldn't open up a computer, right? They wouldn't like ask somebody who just memorized the numbers. They would look at that ledger and they'd know how much money you had in your account. Well, there was a, a guy, his name was David Stewart Briscoe, and he was a young banker. And, and he, he, I want you to think about this. He, he decided to start thinking about the ledgers in the context of the exchange that we have when God gave us his son and what that meant. And this is what he said. This is interesting. I'm going to substitute my name in there because I like the way it sounds. All right. He said this. He said, um, God added up the sum total of my indebtedness against him. I could never cancel the overwhelming indebtedness in my mind's eye, I saw God take his pen and transfer the sum total of my indebtedness to the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the account of the Lord Jesus, he wrote, transferred from the account of Daniel Christopher Minor. 
He said, I thought God was finished, but then I saw him do something incredible. He added up the total righteousness of Christ, and against it, he wrote these words, transferred to the account of Daniel Christopher Minor. So he got this vision from heaven where God transferred all of his indebtedness, everything he owed God for what he had, for salvation, for healing, for wholeness. He transferred it from his account into the account of, of Jesus. He, he transferred that debt into his account. And from Jesus' account, he took all that was positive, all, all of the profit there, essentially. He took all of the righteousness that Jesus had, and he said he transferred it to an account in his name. Now, that's interesting to think about for you and I. When God gave Jesus, for God so loved the world, he gave that he gave. When he gave Jesus, there was an exchange that happened. It was inspired for his love for a world that didn't want him here. Come on, guys, stay with me. This is good stuff. It was inspired by a love that, 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 that sent him here. And he gave Jesus to you and I. And when he gave Jesus to you and I, he transferred every stupid harebrained, crazy thing we've ever done. All of the sin, the dumb stuff. I know I'm in the right church. Come on now. Y'all are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I shouldn't use an English accent. Steve will get mad at me. Sorry, Steve. I don't know what you're talking about, guys. Not me. You know what I'm, how many of you have done some dumb things? Listen, I started at a young age doing dumb things. You've heard the story about uh, two or three I was eating Christmas balls. You know what I mean? And not, not the kind your mom makes, the ones that hang on the tree, the glass ones taking bites out of it. You didn't hear that story? You don't pay attention to my dad's sermons? I'll let him know, okay? Yeah, I mean, we've done some dumb things. I remember me and my cousin used to think this was funny. When we were in college, I mean, this, is, this should have been done in high school or earlier. When we were in college, now I'm telling it myself, I shouldn't do this. When we were in college, me and my cousin Jesse, Tracy's husband, the one up here that sang tonight, um, Jesse and I, we used to go to uh, college together. And so we would decide that on trash day, which was Mondays in my parents' neighborhood, we'd drive a couple streets over, so we were on the same street, and we would take my 1984, 1984 Ford Thunderbird which you could not hurt. It's a tank. And we would hit people's garbage cans going as fast as we could and watch the trash explode all of Now, if you live on 51st or 53rd or something like that, and that happened about, I don't know how many years ago, I'm sorry, right? just from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. But we would hit those things and laugh like we had just seen the greatest comedy you'd ever seen in your life. And the more trash that got stuck in the grill, the happier we got. <laughs> I got a milk carton! Except one day, I think somebody got us because we hit what had to be cinder blocks inside of these aluminum cans, and there was about eight or ten of them. And we darn near wrecked that thing, all right? So from that day forward, we were off that path. But how many of you have done some dumb things in your life, right? So all of the things you owe God for, the things that he forgave, the things that he said, I'm wiping this clean, I'm forgetting about it, he literally transferred from your account into Jesus. He said, I'm going to let Jesus deal with this. 
And he took all of Jesus' righteousness. The Bible says that through him we receive his righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ. We receive it into our account. And the reason I'm telling you this because you're like, I know this. I got the, taught this in the Bible. So listen to me. All of this came as a result of his love. I want, you, I want you to see how all of this were birthed through love. Everything's a birth analogy for me right now. Sorry about that. Every, I probably shouldn't do hand motions, but, you know, maybe just, I don't know. What can I do that wouldn't be offensive? Everything was, I'll just put my hands behind my head. Everything was birthed through love. Everything came through love. His love is what inspired him to do it. His love is what made him decide to do it. His love is what motivated him to do everything that he did. It was his love for you and I. And we can be dumb sometimes and run from him and be hostile towards the cause of Christ and live lives full of craziness. And even in all of that, he didn't wait for you to get your little sweet Christmas sweater on and come Wednesday night to church. In all, right in the middle of the nonsense, he loved you enough to send his son to give sacrificially, unconditionally, because of his love. I'm going to preach this till I'm blue in the face until we believe it. The third thing is this, and I have 12 minutes, so I'm going to get it done. And we're going to be done. We'll do the rest of them. So we got it. For God so loved the world. You got that part, right? That he gave. We got that part, right? You guys are never going to read this the same. Lord, Lord, just help us all. If you get in a home group or a Bible study group and someone brings up that scripture, you're going to be like, <clears throat> everybody just sit back. I got it from here, right? That he gave his only. We don't even get to son yet. We're just doing two words. His only. God lo God's love is unconditional. God's love is sacrificial. And God's love is valuable. Valuable. He gave his only. His only. I thought about how can I think, how can I give you a story or a picture that would really drive this home? And I thought about this in the context of uh, the family we're helping for us. If they needed a car, and I had three cars, right? And I gave them one of my cars for Christmas. It'd be a nice thing, right? But if I had one car, and me giving them my car meant that I'm going to walk and take the bus, and my wife's going to walk and take the bus, and my daughter's going to walk and take the bus, it changes it a little bit. God did not give out of his abundance. That, that, that sentence alone just kind of like twerks our minds a little bit because we're like, well, God, he owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He's, you know, his, his kingdom is, cannot be measured. There's no measuring tape that can go from, yeah, but he only had one son. And that's what he gave. He didn't give a hundred of his cattle. It wasn't the blood of sheeps and goats. Sheep, there's no such word as sheeps. Sheep and goats. It wasn't that. He took what was most value to, valuable to him. His love is valuable. And he gave it. He gave the only thing. It couldn't be replaced. He didn't have a backup. 
He didn't have like a son that was grown up. He thought, this one might be as cool as this one. He just had one. Now, I know we hear the salvation message and the story of Christmas and the story of Easter and all this a million times over, but think about that. One. Just one. His love is valuable. And for the sake of a world that was hostile towards him, his love motivated him enough to give what was most precious to him. I have a lot more to say about this, but I, I want you to connect with why, why are we talking about this now? Why have we decided to go down this path? Because I believe that we're going to win Sarasota with his love. The most forsaken places, the most desperate people groups, we're going to win with his love. The people that the church has given up on, we're going to win with his love. Do you believe that? And if we can, if we can capture glimpse of his overwhelming, unconditional, sacrificial, valuable love for you and I, and then begin to take that, and from that well, from that abundance of his love for you and I, to meet other people with it, and to love them where they're at, will change the city. It'll change your work. Do you know, me and my wife have been, this is the 27th day in the NICU, and we are changing the face of the NICU. Yeah. The nurses fight over caring for my daughter. They fight with one another. Now, that's not good, but I can't help it. They fight with one another. And who's going to care for my daughter? Because there's something about our family, and there's something about the way we talk to them, and the way that we care about them, and the way that we inquire about how they're doing that's different from anyone else they're encountering. If I can go into an environment like that, as desperate as we are, and as, as trusting as we are to the Lord, and see that an environment begin to change from the inside out in just a short period of time, think about what we could do collectively as a group of people, how we could change and transform areas in the city. We can change and transform places and of work. It doesn't take you preaching to the person. You don't have to sit there and say, do you know about G You don't have to even go there. There's something about the way a loved person loves a person that, that, that you can't reproduce. You can't. It's something authentic about it. A nurse told me the other day, she said, there's something about you and your wife that is so authentic. And that's like, for me, there's no higher compliment because the world is full of people that are not authentic. Authenticity is so difficult to come by. Authentic people, I was telling um, David and Nadia about, I think it was Nadia, authentic people are so hard to come by. And the nurse said, there's something about you and your wife that's so authentic that I want to be around. What's authentic about us and what's authentic about you and the way that you can use it is your understanding of God's love for you and how God loves them because they loves them as much as he loves you and when you understand that you represent his love to that person in such a real and authentic way that it's something they've never experienced before some of them have never even experienced that love from a spouse that they think loves them like something's different about these two and I want to declare to you that if you're part of this church, there's something different about you. Right? If you're part of the kingdom of God, there's something that should be different about you. And there's great churches with, 
with great pastors in this area. And we, we're, we're, we're so blessed to have great churches and great men and women of God that are, that are leading those churches. But they're not my church. Y'all are. And as far as I'm concerned, we're going to love. There's a lot of love in other churches, and it's wonderful. But we are going to love. And we're going to experience his love together. Stand to your feet. I want you to go home, and I want you to tell your neighbor, we got through how many words? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The entire message was on ten words. Let me see your beautiful faces. You all getting this? Sunday morning, we're, uh, the best stuff in this message is Sunday morning. So come Sunday morning, we're going to finish John 3.16, and you're never, ever going to read it the same. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you that you love us this evening, God, that you've loved us unconditionally, sacrificially. Lord, you sent the most valuable thing to us, God, that you poured out your love for humanity when, when we were hostile towards you, when we were ungodly, when we were dead in our sins, we were crazy as could be. And, and God, you came, and your love unconditionally met us and so God you gave sacrificially to us God and you gave what was most precious because you loved us not because we earned it or we did anything to deserve it but God you did it because you love us and so Lord we want to understand your love for us we want to encounter that love we want to be fully convinced as my dad spoke on Sunday fully convinced that you love us just the way we are not giving us permission to act crazy or to go back to an old lifestyle, but, but God, understanding that you love us where we're at and that you're calling us to yourself. What I want to do, and I almost forgot, as you're standing there, we're going to dim these lights and we're going to finish. It's 8.56. We have four minutes. I think this only takes three. I'm going to play this song for you, and it's called Out of Hiding. And uh, I felt like the Lord told me to play this at the end of my message tonight. I want you to listen to these words. And I want you, as this girl sings it, Stephanie Gretzinger, she sings this. I just want the Spirit of God to minister to you. So you can be seated as you hear this.